welcome to Gear Talk, a Noria podcast where we are connecting reliability professionals with reliable information. I'm excited today because we got the man, the myth, the legend with us here, Jim Fitch. I mean, a mentor that I've learned a lot from, of course, the, the founder, CEO of Noria. And Jim, today we're going to be talking about something I have heard you say several times in lectures, training classes, the golden age of lubrication. Now, a part of this podcast is for people to understand the individual aspect. So if you don't mind, kind of do a little bit of history about yourself, how you got into lubrication, what, you know, what all that actually does, you know, how we got to where we are today. Yeah. Thanks. Well, uh, Wes, it's great to be here. It's it's a pleasure to see this kind of venue or this kind of uh, a forum available now through Nori Corporation. We may be in a sense a little bit late to the to the to the party on this concept, but uh, we're still going to have a great impact and you're an excellent person kind of to lead this program. So uh, it's uh, it's a real pleasure. Uh, yeah, so I've been uh, in this field uh, a really uh, long time and uh, I've seen a lot of uh, kind of water under the bridge and a lot of things that have happened over the years. And I, uh, I, I, I've told this story many, many times, and I enjoy telling the story of how, you know, my experience and what has kind of led to uh, my perception of this being the, the kind of the golden age of lubrication. So I kind of cut my teeth in uh, this field as a technician in my father's laboratory at Oklahoma State University. And so it was a fluid power research center and it was a large laboratory, 25,000 square feet with a lot of testing going on, mostly by graduate students there, but it was funded by industry, lots of different companies, over 150 companies were funding the research. And so they needed people to watch all these tests being uh, conducted and take notes on data and so forth. And so even in high school, I was doing that sort of thing on weekends and holidays and summer and so forth. And, uh, and so that was uh, kind of my beginning in this field. And of course, my father was the director and founder of the Fluid Power Research Center. And you know, he had a lot of knowledge uh, over you know, going back to the 1950s. He wrote many, many books uh, on tribology and lubrication and fluids and, and, uh, and you know, hydraulics and so forth. And, and so he was, he always liked to talk shop, okay? You know, you know, pe- there are some people like that. I'm sure I, you know, people say the same thing about me, but not like my father. I mean, if you watch football, you watched it, but you talk shop. Okay? Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so being around him as I uh, had for so many, many years, you know, that just, I just absorbed, uh, you know, it's like a sponge. After a while, I, I became really interested in it. And I was really understanding it. And, uh, and so I wrote my first uh, article in 1975 at his uh, urging on the history of fluid power and hydraulics, hydraulics and specific, specifically. And uh, he said, no one ever had written that article. You know, okay. they'd never done that history. And he said, you know, you got to go to the university library and uh, you need to start with the pump, figure out where the pump came from. Uh, and then we'll you know, then kind of take it from there. And he, he kind of paid me for that research because I was in need of some spending money. I'm still in, uh, in college. And that actually led me to the term Noria, okay? Right. So the Noria uh, was and is a, the believed to be the world's oldest machine, first machine not powered by man or animal. 
so you know, hydraulics need pumps. Uh, so the nori is a, me a, a means to move fluid, uh, water. And of course, it's a water wheel with little buckets around the periphery. It's an undershot water wheel. And the, the water wheel does, doesn't produce shaft power, but it, it uh, elevates water to a higher level so that it can flow into the fields for you know, uh, irrigation in the villages for drinking water. And happens to be lubricated in a lot of cases. Probably too, right? lubricated. So it dates back to, you know, pick a number, about 1,000 B.C. Uh, and we know that lubricants were used in, in carts and chariots, mm -hmm. you know, going back to around 3000 B.C. OK. And, and these could be animal fats, olive oil, something of that nature. Anything right? that's that's oily and slippery, you know, uh, you know, could have been used. You know, slugs could have been used, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, banana peels or something, whatever. Uh, so uh, it, anyway, so is is you know, really the beginning of lubricants in large rotating machines. Now, the Nori still exists today, you know. Right. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of the really early beginning and, and my awareness of kind of this field. Mm -hmm. And I went on to Georgia Tech and got an engineering degree. And I went into industry, worked for Monsanto Chemical Company as a, a young industrial engineer. Uh, they had lots of equipment. Uh, it was mostly uh, nylon extrusion. And I learned about big plants, you know, bureaucracy. You had 5,000 people there. I mean, it, it, uh, it was uh, quite an experience for a young engineer to kind of figure out all of that. And it was a good exposure. And I learned about how important reliability was uh, there. I went on to get a master's degree. And my dad and I had this conversation about my career. And that led me to uh, start a, a company called Diagnetics, which was based on his vision of, of where oil analysis was going. So we're talking about 1982 in that time frame right there. And I was just, you know, around 23, 24 years old. And uh, in, he had a little bit of uh, money that he could use, that he was willing to use to kind of uh, germinate that, that young company. And, and so that led to uh, the development of portable oil analysis instruments and bench level field instruments because his vision was you need to put oil analysis in the hands of end users you need to have the sure. ability to to find out information right now as opposed to always having to send the sample off and then wait a day or two back then it was very common right, weeks to for data to, to last or take over a, a week to get oh back. sure so uh, and so that, you know, we developed instruments and we learned a lot about uh, the kind of the user community and their willingness to to uh, to embrace a change and, and and apply the knowledge of, of lubrication or oil analysis to to meet, say, changing things like contamination control in their plant. What I learned was there, you know, a lot of plants out there were kind of legacy plants that they you know, they, they've been doing things the way they always had been doing them. And, and so, those, you know, that was, those were tough times to get, you know, you talked to, you know, we had one of our products with a particle counter. And, you know, to talk to a user about you know, obtaining or buying a particle counter, portable or bench level, that was not an easy conversation. It was like, you know, we've, we've never had a particle counter before. We, you know, why do we need one now? The understanding okay. yeah, behind that's right. it. I that's mean, right. What, what's in it for me or anything that's else? That's right. 
So, you know, everything, even today, you know, everything's about the, what we can control or change, right? Things that are addressable within our own means. You know, there's a lot of things we can't change. You know, we, if we, you know, we can't change the machine that was already delivered and installed. Okay. But we can modify things. We can add things to that machine. Okay. So, uh, so lubrication and, and contamination control uh, have been in that category of what is changeable. Sure. And and if we can change it and improve it, we can extend uh, you know service life of the lubricant, uh, the the machine, and so forth. I want to take a second to talk about Reliable Plant Conference. This is actually our 25th Reliable Plant Conference. It is going to be held at the Carib Royal Resort in Orlando, Florida, July 31st through August 3rd. Please come and join us for workshops, speaker sessions, keynotes. We have an exhibit hall with over 100 exhibitors in it to find the solutions that you need to improve your reliability program, your lubrication program, and to network with your peers. Learn from them. Understand what solutions they use to improve their program. Come and learn from industry experts, from thought leaders, from people that are innovating in their reliability uh, programs. And we want to see you there. Remember, July 31st through August 3rd. And of course, you can go to conference.reliableplant.com for more information. So you're in a state where you're making instruments. You're making uh, things that are going to give information back about the state of the lubrication of the lubricant itself. And I mean, at that point, you have to think, well, we're actually changing something. But I guess you're finding that people are maybe slow to accept that information. Yeah. yeah. So at first, uh, you know, I, I can remember, you know, really in the early days, having spent a lot of time trying to convince customers on how important it is that they know their cleanliness level. Okay. You know, a lot of users just think, hey, the oil is clean. Got a filter there. Got a breather. I'm, I'm good. You know. <clears throat> they just didn't care to know, you know, what the ISO code or what the particle count was. And I remember, you know, like waking up in the middle of the night thinking, am I in the right field here? You know, I, I, you know, there's, there's such an inertia of, of the way things have always been, you know, it was difficult to get people to change. Sure. Now you fast forward to today, you know, yeah. and you can talk to people about ISO codes. You can talk to them about, uh, you know, contaminant exclusion and removal and all the, the modern and improved ways to do things and how important it is to set a target cleanliness level. Uh, you know, and, and you know, what really causes machines to wear and fail, you know. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things, but one of the main things is, you know, the cleanliness, the health of that lubricant and the state of lubrication, the viscosity and all these sorts of things. If those are the, if those are the things that are influencing the life expectancy of the machine, we need to know, we need the language of fluid properties and contamination. We need to be able to talk about it, set targets and limits, and begin moving those properties in a, a, a state of greater health. So if we say the, the golden age of lubrication, are you saying that you feel like now we have more of an acceptance of that because we are able to have those conversations more readily? It's, it's not a conversation of why is this is a important. It's now a conversation of how do I make it better, which is yeah. completely a different yeah. battleground. So back then, you know, there was all kinds of low-hanging fruit, mm-hmm. you know, that you go into a plant and they hadn't changed anything. Uh, and they didn't know what contamination control was. They looked at the oil, they fill, felt the, the oil with their fingers, and they thought they were clean and they were good. 
uh, nowadays we know you know, there's a, you know, that alone isn't good enough, sure. not by, by a long shot. And so we have created awareness. We've trained, you know, Nori's trained over 100,000 people. Sure. Uh, so that creates awareness. And at mm -hmm. Diagnetics, we were making all these oil analysis instruments. But just, but even then, we, you know, we were real basically reporting what was going on with the oil, the state of the oil or the state of the machine. We weren't changing it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay. We're so, reporting on that's it. That's right. Okay. So it's like you know you 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 run a test on your your cholesterol, your blood pressure, and it's not good news, and but you don't know how to move it into a state of, of greater health. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of has been Noria's mission is sure. to figure out ways. Okay, we do, need to do well analysis. We need to assess things, uh, but ha but and then here are some things that we can improve that state to improve reliability. It's that knowing, yeah, doing gap, That's right. right? And, and that's where we've achieved a lot. And so there's a, while there was a lot of foot dragging and eh, we don't need it, we don't care about it, we're fine, leave us alone. There's a high percentage of users out there that see the opportunity that they, they know that they can, you know, we're, you know, you know, con maintenance it has a, you know, it needs to be addressable. How can we address lubrication and oil analysis to, to achieve greater results? And so that that's that's why we kind of in this in that golden age. There's still a lot of legacy equipment out there. There's sure. a lot of legacy plants. Uh, but there's also a lot of great case studies of organizations that have been down this path. They've gone through the, the journey of improving lubrication and applying oil analysis and contamination control to uh, considerable benefits to, to their organization. Now, I think it's important to point out you're still involved in the day-to-day the -day activities of being a technical consultant for Noria. I mean, I, I have you a basically a caseload and everything else of projects. You're going out to, to conferences. You're speaking at conferences, not only just hosting our own, you're teaching our classes. So you're still involved in industry as it sits today. So the questions that you're hearing, I mean, what do you think that that, let's, let's fast forward maybe 30 years, maybe 40 years. What do you think the conversation looks like as it is today versus what it's going to be then? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, it's, it's because we are, we're in the golden age and I've worked, you know, as you know, a lot, like a lot of others to get to this wonderful place mm -hmm. where you can actually talk to people and, uh, and, are and they're receptive to the message. It's, it's hard to walk away from it. You sure. know, you want to be continued to be a part of it because this is what you've been waiting for to yeah. happen. Okay. Now, what's going to happen in the, in the future? Uh, you know, we don't really know for sure uh, what's going to happen. But lubrication and oil in uh, hydraulic fluids, they're not going to go away. They're going to be used differently. Sure. And, and so I was just on the phone earlier this morning with uh, a gentleman from uh, the, the Fluid Power Institute up in uh, Milwaukee, and he was talking about all the changes and testing that they're doing on hydraulic fluids to make them more energy efficient mm. and what they've learned about the formulation of these fluids, additives and things, and certainly viscosity that we didn't know a few years ago. And he's about my age. And so he is, you know, he's also seen a lot of history and he's t you're talking about that in a very uh, excited sort of way. Sure. Uh, so that's happening. Uh, he, he was also talking about how, uh, you know, oil analysis, you know, we really, you know, kind of look entirely to the oil to tell us the story about how, how the oil has been doing, how the machine's been doing, what's in the oil that shouldn't be there, and what used to be in the oil isn't, that is not there any longer, and that sort of thing. 
And he said, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can't go to the oil for. It's really in the filter. It's like a flight data recorder of what's been going on with the oil and the machine. But most people just toss the filter. And he said, you know, we've been doing a lot of tests about, you know, what is there and how you analyze that filter and how do you turn that into meaningful information about how we need to change the way we, we run our equipment. You know, this has been something that Nori has talked about for years, but even today, you talk about the future, you know, very, very few organizations out there taking advantage of analyzing the filter. So there's all kinds of things that we can see that are starting to get some traction, Mm -hmm. but traction isn't an overnight, overnight sensation. It's something that just you know, builds, you know, it's a ramp up of awareness and change, okay? And and so we're trying to do that at the conference, the things that we're gonna do at our conference in Orlando this year, the speakers and the, the message are there, are really, we're not gonna see a lot of this happening in a kind of the mainstream uh, community of, you know, of users mm-hmm. for years to come. Uh, but we know there are several of us that have their own con- kind of crystal balls and can kind of see what, what has to happen uh, it's just a matter of how soon it will happen. Now, you and I share a similar background of, of growing up on a, on a family farm. And I always tell people that's where I got my introduction to lubrication because it was you're changing oil every 3,000 miles in a pickup or anything else, regardless of anything else. And then you're, you're greasing you know, farm equipment. And if a little bit of grease is good, a lot's got to be that much better. So you added grease until it came blowing out of somewhere. And we know that that's not good for industrial lubrication. It may work for for farm equipment, stuff like that. So how do we close that gap of people that may not have a formalized training or a formalized education in lubrication? Because it sounds like that's, you know, where the rubber really meets the road is getting the technicians more skilled up or more aware of how to do lubrication correctly. Yeah. So uh, that's a good question. I think Nori in general is still trying to figure that out is, uh, you know, you can't bring everybody into a, a training environment. You know, right. they're not willing to, or even, even if it's online, a lot of people are uncomfortable and they can't sit still long enough to, to absorb it all. Or they they just have an attitude, we've always done it this way, you know, the status quo. Uh, sure. And, and so they may be aware of better ways, better ways to grease or different ways to, uh, different lubricants that are out there, whatever it is, uh, but they, you know, the inertia or the comfort zone or whatever it is always brings them back to the same place. Uh, so fortunately, you know, we've got a lot of new people in, in that are coming into the field. We also have newer, different ways of, of, of communicating and, and educating people uh, to, to try different things. And I mean, this podcast is an example of that. It's a good example of that. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, software, we've got... Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, peer pressure is a big part of it. You know, if, if we only have one person in a plant that says we need to change something and he has the job of trying to convince all the other people that are, you know, plant floor or, you know, engineers, management, it's a big, it's a big job and, sure. and often uh, doesn't succeed. You may, sometimes you have that strong personality champion like individual that can make that happen. However, if you manage to get a lot of other people uh, exposed to it. You bring training into the plant environment and you create that awareness of, among not just one or two people, but 20 people or 25 people. Now you have a, 
uh, you have more of them with the same message and they can be influencers to those who chose not to attend that class sure. and wanted to always do things the same way. You know, they, they realize, hey, think, you know, the, it, the time has finally come, you know, something like that. This is the, um, the idea of the flywheel, right? You, you get up enough That's momentum, right? right? And right. it maintains its That's speed. Right. So right. you have to hit that. Uh, there's all those buzzwords or critical mass or whatever we want to call it. That's right. So... I, I want to talk to you about what you feel maybe industry is still missing the boat on as it pertains to lubrication. While we're in the golden age and people are understanding it, people are speaking to it a lot better. What do you think they're still missing, you know, as a key message that, that we need people to understand? Oh, gosh. I, you know, I think the fundamentals are, are still in place. It's just the application of them. Uh, and... And so, you know, I look to and have looked to uh, what users have succeeded at, okay? And, you know, the, the, the innovators and early adopters out there that have truly succeeded at certain things and how we can move those ideas and principles into the mainstream uh, community. Uh, but there, you know, there are uh, there's a lot that's going on in the scientific community and research laboratories uh, that uh, point to you know the future, um, and uh, but you know in terms of you know what I think I'm going to see in my lifetime, it is a a, a a continuation of the same pathways we've been. Uh, so uh, not just a lubricant, but a precision selected lubricant okay uh you know maybe the lubricant that's identified to use in the service manual is needs to be thrown out the door and a different kind of lubricant uh even a different viscosity needs to be used uh, instead same's true with uh, contamination control filters and breathers the way we sample where we sample uh the tests we run the limits the way we respond to those results there all of that stuff has been around for a while, okay? And we're, you know, this is the golden age. Uh, we're seeing traction. We're seeing, you know, uh, application of it, but we still have a long ways to go. Uh, and, uh, you know, Nori is a part of it and others out there that are doing training and trying to bring this message to the, uh, to the practitioners and the user community. This is our job today. And uh, I think we're, we're, we're going to see uh, more, uh, every year that goes by, we're going to see more and more success. Well, Jim, I definitely appreciate you swinging by. I think that's a great message. We are definitely in the golden age. I'm excited about it. I think people are going to realize it. So um, obviously we'll have you back from, from time to time sure. to, to talk about different topics, but hopefully you have enjoyed the Gear Talk podcast. If you have any ideas or suggestions, please email them to us at podcast at noria.com. 